Welcome to WMRE's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at WMRE. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to The Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. Let's get into this week's topic, David. Hi, thanks. Um, so for this week, I have a guest coming on. It's Elizabeth Bolib, who's Managing Director and Head of Real Estate Capital Markets with Crescent Partners. Uh, hi, Elizabeth. Hi. Thank, uh, thank you. you. Yeah, thank you for thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Sure. So, you know, just to get the ball rolling, if you wanted to, if you could take a moment to just like talk about your role and uh, what Crescent Partners is up to right now. Sure. Crescent Partners is the alternative investments arm of Crescent Capital Management. So we are a over $3 billion of committed investor capital to real estate, private equity, venture capital, and uh, private credit. So as, as a real solution for our family office and high net worth investors, as well as other outside investors. So my role specifically in that is to oversee all of our strategy and capital efforts for the real estate arm of Crescent Partners. Yeah. And there's an interesting story there. I, I, I mean, I've talked with Mike Miller a few months ago. There's a story on our site. We'll link to it in the show, but I'm interested just, you know, because Crescent's big in the wealth management space and then now has this whole investment arm and and really, and then brought this whole real estate team on board and uh, is doing a lot of interesting things with that and uh, funds that are targeting some different things we could talk about. And my understanding is that you've just come onto the firm within the past few months. Is that correct? That is correct. So, so you are correct. They, you, you've, you've had the whole story with my colleague Mike, but you know, it really the real estate started as the real estate arm of a family office. So mm -hmm. our, our, our chairman, um, his name Larry Levy, and his uh, family office has been doing real estate. Larry's been doing real estate his since he was in his twenties, but really the real estate arm that was over, is overseen and co-founded by Mike and and my other colleague, Jeff Cherney, mm -hmm. Cherner, excuse me. Um, they started doing what are very large institutional quality real estate one by one with, with other high net worth investors alongside the family office capital. And so when Crescent was founded, a big anchor of their efforts for their clients was to be able to provide this additional access to alternative investments, real estate being included, as I noted. So really, Larry had had a relationship um, with the founders of Crescent, and they they started having a conversation about what kind of interesting opportunities he had been doing for a long time, and how that could then be put together as opportunities for the Crescent wealth management platform. So that was a little bit how this partnership came about. Mm -hmm. And it started with putting together a strategy for the qualified opportunity zone legislation that mm -hmm, was passed mm -hmm. back in 2017 and really utilizing the over 20 year experience of, of doing these institutional quality assets and investments, and then 
seeking out those types of opportunities in qualified opportunity zones. And so the way that legislation worked, the best access that we could put together in a diversified portfolio for our investors was really what we were seeking to do, which is how the, those, that fund series came about. And we're now on our, on our third in that series. So, so it's, it's been a great success. And that's third, the, the third just in the Opportunity Zone series. Correct. And you have, you have a couple other real estate-themed funds as well. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so so what that also had, it, I guess I should say, realization of, of how interesting of an opportunity it was to put these types of individual assets into a fund format that, you know, historically family offices um, and high net worth investors would would often do one-off mm-hmm. individual deals and really giving them the opportunity to have the exposure to these across multiple assets. So you're really diversifying your exposure was, was really something that the Crescent platform wanted to expand upon. So we launched a vehicle to do logistics development. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But a couple of years ago, we're now in our second fund. So there's logistics. Are there any other property types that you've got active funds in at this so point? So today, in, in, within the Qualified Opportunity Zone, we do multifamily developments right. and we do some, what, what the industry calls mixed use, right? So there will be some retail components to that. Some of them will have an office component. So we've we have a long history of doing all four of those property types. So today you can get that exposure in the opportunity zone. We have the logistics strategy, this development. And certainly to your question earlier of my coming on a few months ago, mm-hmm. my background has been in the private equity real estate industry for uh, since 2007. But in previous to that, I was doing institutional investment consulting across all okay. asset classes. So bringing that lens to really continue offering for our both Crescent clients and other family office investors to other strategies and other access points is, is a big piece of, of my coming on. And is there anything that's different or unique about working directly with um, the wealth channel or working directly with Crescent than you know, living in a different kind of real estate firm? Yeah. So it's a good question. So I, to your point, I had been working with the pension funds, foundation and endowments world. And there's always been a conversation around how we can give these same opportunities to mm-hmm. a larger audience of investors. Right. And so Crescent has done a really good job of setting that up um, with, with not only the real estate, obviously, but other strategies. And so within the real estate, you know, certainly there's tax considerations, there's all the different depreciation, but what it really offers is obviously the, hopefully a high return potential. We've been, Mm -hmm. we've been fortunate for the most part, but also that, that income component that any investor is really looking for when looking at real estate. So that's something that we're, and especially in this market environment and opportunities really exploring as something else that we can put together for our investors. And I think that point I noted earlier is, is they've 
getting exposure to real estate on one deal at a time mm -hmm. is a very different opportunity than having the ability to have that same exposure across multiple assets. Um, and, you know, us having a family office history, I think has also brought that entrepreneurial approach and nimble approach to real estate that a lot of the larger firms who do have retail type strategies have really can't say that they offer in the same way that we approach real estate. So, so that's, yeah. that's another thing we were really focused on. Sure. So it speaks to, I think there's like a large, what you're saying kind of reminds me of other things I've heard about just this idea of democratization in terms of the uh, access to types of investments and private investments in particular, and something stuff that, that used to just be where the institutions are super wealthy would play just giving that kind of access to other kinds of investors and, and not just something, not just something is like to be offered to them, but something that, that is they're actually asking for, right. That like that, the, that investors want are interest are increasingly interested in having access to uh private, our private uh, investment, private equity, private debt and, and real estate among other, the right. whole world of alternatives. Is that, is that correct? Right. You are correct. And that's, and I think, Look, I think it's been happening. Certainly there's plenty of big non-traded REITs. You can mm -hmm. go to the public REIT market. But I think that structure of really direct and you're getting access like what only used to be happening in our case with a handful of wealth family offices. Mm -hmm. Now we're able to put that together to not only, I don't want to say for lack of a better word, serve, serve those same people but also then create that opportunity for other investors that are maybe not as large and couldn't get that type of access. And you're not doing it through, in our case, through other you know, fund vehicles, you're doing it direct into these, these real estate deals that my team with all of our experience is sourcing or are so sourcing. I don't, I don't know how much detail you can go into on it. So just whatever you can, but how are the are, are these funds structured? Are they open end, closed end, or their minimums? How, how does the actual investment process work uh, right. for you know for, for us because we've been doing development and you know there's a longer mm -hmm. time frame and till you get to a point where they're producing income. So it really when you're thinking about how you create a vehicle for any investor, you want to line up how you put that together with with the, what the real estate's achieving. So I say all that to say, we have done ours in a closed structure. So it will will raise a fund over a period of time and then draw down the capital to meet the need to you know to buy the real estate and meet the mm -hmm. needs of the real estate, and then they'll have their return over whatever time frame is designated. It's different for QOZ versus industrial in our case, but. If we were to, and as we think about new strategies where you're buying income producing assets that are already fully leased up, you know, operational, able to do distributions every year, the industry has created our, an open end structure. And that's certainly something that we can do and explore if we, in fact, you know, put that type of strategy together. Um, so you really have to match up that vehicle with what real estate is going in it. Got it. Yeah. And, that and that's the sense. case with institutional too. It's the same conversation. 
Right. So it has to align with what the goals of the real estate are and also the goals of the, of the investors. Mm -hmm. Um, So the elephant in the room at this point is, okay, we're talking about all this stuff. There's all this talk of like the doom surrounding real estate, which I think in a lot of ways gets from my seat, seems like it's kind of conflating a lot of things that are conflating maybe something that are happening in certain property types with saying commercial real estate, trying to tar commercial real estate in general with this broad brush. So what kind, but I, but I, you know, people see, you know, see these headlines, they may have questions. What kind of things, discussions are you having with investors about real estate, you know, investment real estate at this point and how, and you know, what are you hearing and how do you, how do you respond to some of those things? Yeah, I think headlines we all deal with, of course. It, it's so nuanced with real estate. Your point about the broad brushes is a very important one because it's real estate is city by city, mm-hmm. block by block. You know, I'm sitting here in Chicago. Some neighborhoods from a retail perspective are thriving, others are not. But then same story office, we're sitting in an office building that, that my team happened to invest in, um, and was a developer of, and it's 95% leased performing extremely well, very busy, but then the center loop of Chicago has some challenges. And so every real estate conversation is so specific to each asset and additionally, how you're capitalizing these assets. So in this market today, the big conversation is also around interest rates. We all know Mm -hmm. this. It's It affects everything. What's positive, unlike the financial crisis in 07, 08, which is we've all, I was, we all learned a lot of lessons from and and look at those lessons have helped our, my firm and many others are very conservative with leverage, even on developments. So we can, position ourselves to to ride out certain situations. They're never easy, but you can position yourself appropriately. But there will always be opportunity that comes out of environments like this. Mm-hmm. So especially for firms like ours, where we've, we've been in this mix, for lack of a better word, um, for a while. So there, you're starting to see some interesting opportunities that come from challenges in the market. So Another really important point is even with this debt environment, you look at our logistics development strategy, we're still able to to get good debt, debt meaning we like the we like the providers, we like the terms. We can't control the interest rate, but we can control where we buy, what type of tenants we're seeking, how we develop, and those things are still really strong. Right. So the fundamentals of certain types of real estate, especially logistics, especially multifamily, continue to show a lot of strength to ride these environments out. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's so important is that I think it, you know, it's obviously from a narrative perspective, it's very easy just to kind of lump everything together, but industrial real estate just had this amazing story for such a long time, which is why, I mean, you know, part of why you're in it and Mm -hmm. these fundamentals are still very strong in, in, I'm sure you could find little things here and there, but over the, I mean, Absolutely. very low vacancy rates, tons of demand, you know, just, just think about the way that our, the, our supply chain works every day. It just seems like a, like a fundamentally strong part of the real estate market and multi res, residential, we, we look at just the demand that there 
you know, we we're under housed or we need. We are under housed and with interest rates comes, it's more difficult to, mm-hmm. to put your head around affording to buy a home. Right. So I think we, we, one thing that's changing, David, is, you know, we've had a period during COVID where you had 15 and 20% rent growth. Mm-hmm. So now when mm-hmm. you're normalizing to a 5% or 4%, people are looking at that and seeing, oh, it's this big decline. But for those of us who were investing over long periods of time, we're always underwriting and planning for normal growth rates. Mm -hmm. So we're not doing these investments in our minds around expecting 10 and 15% rent growth into humidity. Right, right. So So those are really important factors to the market. Absolutely. And so you talked, you, I think you alluded earlier too about like the way that you source deals. Um, and if you could talk about that, like what the real estate Absolutely. team is and how, like how you're, you know, how you're vetting deals uh, at the yeah, opportunities absolutely. right now. It, you know, again, I, when I was having that conversation earlier about the block by blocks, mm-hmm. city by city. And it's, so when you think about the logistics market, for example, we decided to spend a lot of our time on what what you would call these top growth markets. So you would, you would, maybe that sounds a bit obvious, but it's, it's these port markets like a Savannah, a Charleston, these middle of the country that are, that are key middle market logistics points, like a Louisville because of the UPS world hub there, you go down to Houston and Dallas. So the historical big logistics and industrial markets were up in New York, Long Beach, California, those types of areas, which are still very strong. But we said, look, there's this huge opportunity to continue to grow out and develop stock of of logistics properties in these other top tier growth markets. I throw Reno, Nevada and Phoenix into there as well. And so, you know, with the what is basically the retailization of of the industrial market. Industrial used to be literally these, you threw these kind of boring boxes up and mm-hmm. you threw some storage in them. Now you're building these world-class computerized, sometimes robotic logistics facilities, right? So you have a very specific customer to feed what is happening and how we shop now. In addition, COVID brought, with supply chain issues and everything else is you're, there's a lot of changes to where we're having manufacturing. So you also have a lot of demand in these big, large logistics buildings for what everyone's calling onshoring. Right. Right. Um, so there's, there's some real, what, what us real estate people love is to create the supply because the demand is there. And that's a very basic formula, but it's, it's really real in that space. Right. And there, I guess there are things like the CHIPS Act and also just demand for EV that's boosting, you know, there's a lot of absolutely the construction of big battery plants. And I assume that then creates solar. Yeah. yeah. So all sorts of things. Right. So just lots mm-hmm. of opportunity. It is. It's, it's exciting. I mean, it's again, the, the whole conversation around rent growth. It's so when you go to look at a an opportunity, your question around how we're sourcing opportunities. We're fortunate because we've spent a lot of years and a long time developing relationships. And so we we look at a lot of things um, and, and evaluate a lot of deals, which also helps us 
identify markets and and things we want to hone in on, but also it allows us to really partner up with the right people in the right in those markets. So it's <laughs> we have higher debt, right? I mean, even from a year ago, that interest cost is real. But we're also getting really strong fundamentals and leasing indications of rents and other things that go into building and deciding whether it's worth building something that are offsetting that. And then after you build it, do you wait till it's stabilized and then sell it? How long are you holding it after it's after it's built? Usually that's that's the plan. That's the business plan. Um we've we've had a case where we did a building and our tenant, the user, um, wanted to buy it before we were even done. Oh. So that that's not usually our business plan, but it but it is happening in the market. It's the more consistent exit, if you will, is to to get it stabilized and then sell. It's usually over total start to finish three three years to five years, probably more like five. And for, the, for logistics. But then and, when you talk about sorry. the QOZ, those are mm -hmm. a 10 year hold requirement, right, right, right. as I know you talked about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I think the QOZ, we are getting to to the close, that, that's going to expire soon, I believe, unless so, it's renewed. Mm -hmm. That's 2026. So it's, it's some, there's some time and we're our current fund, we will be able to do some, continue to do some more investments um, and in and, and plenty of time for the current legislation. But you are correct. There's, there is a proposal out there for an extension for another two years. So we'll see if it if it comes to fruition. We hope it does. It's been a great legislation in our minds and it's bi been bipartisan, which we all know mm -hmm. is hard to come by. Yeah. Um, so it's uh we'll see. We it's it's been great investment opportunities for um our clients. Yeah, I think it it I it took a few years to kind of get going, which kind of makes sense because you're talking about mostly doing development. But, it, mm -hmm. you know, in the last, it does seem like it's actually, it's been a widely successful and a lot of people have figured out how to do it really well. And right. a lot of the zones are are good opportunities. I mean, they are really good opportunities to, to do things. And and is we have a partner who calls it placemaking, which mm. is so it, right on to what it really is was intended to achieve and is achieving in in many of these cities that we've participated in is there anything that's uh that i haven't asked you about that you think would be important important for listeners it's a really good question i think even though these real estate opportunities my industry is i say my industry but in this real estate space for quite a bit of time there's been a lot of work done for how we democratize it, that word you used earlier. And I think it's important to note how how much more opportunity there is to come as it relates to giving that access of institutional real estate to that market of, of high net worth investors or just the any qualified purchaser. You asked earlier, our funds have a $250,000 minimum. So mm -hmm. it's it meet, they have to meet their requirements, but you know, that's, that's a great opportunity. I do think that that educational piece about real estate and especially real estate development has been one thing that we've Cressa partners has really tried to focus on because development is, it takes, not only does it take a while, 
it's a moving moving target every couple months of new problems that we're solving for. And and as we joke, these problems can most of the time be opportunities, but you're constantly pivoting, especially in a market like this. And, you know, we are experienced in doing so, but I think that education for this high net worth and, and retail market is still has a long, long road to go. And so I think we know we're going to work hard to be a key part of that. But I think that's an important piece of this understanding what you're getting access to and the opportunity of it, but also what it means from an investment perspective. It's not, it's not liquid, right? It's, it's, it's a building. Um, right. So it it's a different type of investment. Well, if, there, if folks are interested in any more information, where can they find out? They can come to our website, www.crescentpartners.com. And we have, um, you know, a link that they can register and they'll go right to, I guess I'd call it an approval process, but right to a website that approves them to then see and register and receive all the information on all of our strategies. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. I appreciate the the opportunity. Absolutely. Talk to you today. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Please click the subscribe button if you haven't already, and each new podcast will come directly to your listening device. Please share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review as this helps others find the show. Thank you again for listening. For everyone at WMRE, this is Wendy McConnell inviting you to visit wealthmanagement.com slash real dash estate for a wealth of knowledge. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WMRE or Informa. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. 